Welcome to Bass Edge Radio, the information source keeping you on the front edge of bass fishing tips and tactics from professional anglers across the country. Your Bass Edge podcast is presented by KeelGuard, the first do-it-yourself keel protector and a Bass Edge supporter since 2006. Be sure to become a KeelGuard fan on Facebook and check out their entire line of products at KeelGuard.com. I'm your Bass Edge co-host, Kurt Dove, and as is tradition, we have Bass Edge stalwart, Aaron Martin. Aaron, what do you say, bud? Let's get this episode rolling. Kurt, here we are, October 2012, episode number 148. Actually, there's a little chill to the air coming about, but you know what? Those seasonal conditions are changing. So let's spend today's episode not only talking about those changing conditions, but also how to establish that sought-after consistency that all anglers try to have throughout the course of the year. Also, don't forget that $500 keel guard giveaway. Well, it's still going on, and we're going to tell you how to be involved in that. Let's get this party started. Like that. Boy, good job. Well, I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge that bass fishing does. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. Conditions going to be tough, but we'll catch them. This is, a, this is a good place. It's all about figuring it out. <laughs> what do you think of that, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Holy cow. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios. High above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Kurt, we have a pretty special scenario this month as we have tracked down the number one and number two ranked bass fishing anglers in the world, David Dudley and Brent Chapman. Coincidentally, they both won the 2012 Angler of the Year Awards in the respective professional circuits. It really takes some fantastic fishing and, I guess almost more importantly, decision-making to become Angler of the Year. But it's really that adaption from season to season that I think has really put them in the driver's seat. Yeah, Aaron, you're not kidding at all. Come to think of it, we had some serious adapting to do last month as I visited you up at Table Rock. (laughs) Yes, we did. I know that you're not a true Texan, but most guys, I always like to tease them when my buddies come up out of Louisiana or Texas or something. I think I had you out there a a little deeper than most native Texans, I guess, would be used to fishing. Yeah, you're right. The only thing that was kind of true to that East Texas form was all the stumps we saw everywhere. I mean, Table Rock was kind of low. We were getting way out into some of those points, and you could see those stumps just under the water. We could have crashed into a few of those puppies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there was actually the remnants of some of those stumps occurred of either uh, somebody's boat hole or uh, wave runner or wakeboard or something, you know. doesn't do you much good when you hit a a 12-inch diameter stump stump running about 40. Yeah, you're not kidding. You know, it was interesting how we started off fishing. We started off really quick. We got a couple topwater bites, uh, had a buzzbait bite, had a square bill bite, and we thought we were going to catch some fish shallow, and man, we really had to change up there. Boy, we did. Again, it goes back to, I'm really glad we're in October. I I don't know if I've said that yet, but you're probably going to hear me say that about 15 times (laughs) during this episode. It's not that I hate September by any means, but it's one of those transition months, and it's tough across the country, but we started out in the river thinking, hey, let's go see if we can get a topwater bite, square bill bite, do a little flipping. We then kind of dropped down, back down into the main lake, did a little dock thing. Not really a lot going on there. And then we more or less moved out and started drop shotting and really got the electronics honed in and started looking for some of those fish that were getting ready to transition and move closer and move shallower as that water cools down and that bait starts to move into the back of the creeks. Yeah, we started seeing a lot of that bait really suspended out there over those points and and even saw some schooling activity out there. I think the key to uh, some of what we did was, you know, when you're out there just fishing, we, we probably could have stayed a little shallow. 
starting on the front of the boat, you know, I got a few bites, and then we transitioned to putting you on the front of the boat, and you got a few bites. And, and probably if we had a fish like that all day long, if somebody had have just stayed in the front of the boat, they probably would have caught 90% of the fish. Whereas when we moved out, we definitely found more fish. And uh, in, in general, I think we had a lot more fun to be able to catch some of those deeper fish just because there seemed to be a lot more fish out there. Not quite as target-oriented, but definitely a lot more bites when we were out there fishing that deeper water. And, man, we had the trifecta. We had the smallmouth, spotted bass, and the largemouth. You know, Table Rock's one of those few lakes in the country where you can do that, and, and that's always fun to uh, be a part of. Boy, it sure was, and we've talked about that many times. When you're out fishing deep, of course, there's size that's out in the depths, but we certainly saw it to where there was definitely more concentrations and, and a lot more numbers than what we were seeing targeting those individual pieces of structure, laydowns, uh, what have you. But, you know, Kurt, as we head into the fall, those water temperatures are plummeting. The bait fish is moving back into the shallows. Obviously, that deep bite changes. We're really approaching to where those bass go back into that feeding frenzy prior to winter. Yeah, Aaron, you're exactly right. You know, this time of year, you're really going to start to see those huge balls of shad run around. We started to see some of that last month, like I said, when we were fishing Table Rock and seeing those balls of shad and seeing some of that schooling activity. Now you're going to get those balls of shad really pushed into the backs of these creeks. You're really going to be able to take that square bill. Instead of catching a fish here and there while being on the front of the boat, everybody's going to be able to have a great time because the fish are really going to push everything into the backs of those creeks, and they should be a fish on every piece of hard cover. Now, it may not come on the very first cast or the first flip to some of that stuff, and you might have to recast four or five, maybe even up to six or ten times to get that fish to trigger because there is so much bait back there but man i tell you october is going to be a fun time to fish and i look forward to rocking it all the way through the month did you post some pics over there on facebook i saw i had a big big lawn chair that you posted over there from facebook <laughs> yeah that was uh walter stepped in there and I, I sent him a few pics that he's probably going to be trickling out but man what a day <laughs> you know I, st I still remember that and sorry to laugh kurt but it's just amazing when you start fishing around docks and that particular day i think we were flipping a spoon and you hooked into that lawn chair and i think it took both of us to get that thing in if i remember oh yeah it definitely did you know i've caught a lot of crazy things in my fishing career but that was the first lawn chair i ever <laughs> caught you know i'm not ashamed of it i'm proud of it you know you just don't have that opportunity every day so it was pretty cool i thought i was pulling up a big log and then all of a sudden there comes and we were ready to sit down and relax on the deck and maybe have a drink or two <laughs> absolutely it kind of reminded me too i'll never forget when we were actually filming and uh, randy howell actually hooked into two rod and reels and uh, he's like man i dropped those in there last time i was out just goes to show you you never know what you're going to catch aaron you mentioned earlier about the keel guard giveaway i've been using my facebook and sharing a lot of those keel guard photos that's the 500 dollars giveaway can you tell me some more about that and let the listeners know exactly what we've got going on yeah unfortunately though kurt you are not able if you read that little disclaimer all bass edge employees but uh good try and I, I know you're all about that free stuff but no same same way and uh, obviously everybody's jumped on the bandwagon in bass edge nation but if you have yet to do so we're coming down to the final hours of that giveaway first place complete boat package five hundred dollars you get one of everything that Kilgard makes and then there's a second a third and a fourth all you have to do is basically share that photo that has the Kilgard, the bass edge boat that's on there share that like Kilgard's face Facebook and you are automatically entered. We will be doing that drawing shortly here in the middle of October and let everybody know who is a winner of that. So please, 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 if you haven't done so, make sure you get signed up for that because I don't want to hear any whining. Aaron, it's a bummer I can't get a piece of that Keel Guard giveaway, but that's a great program for everybody. Get involved with that. I tell you what, you know, it's time we talk to Mr. David Dudley, an old Virginia boy from my neck of the woods as well. You know, I'm down here in Texas.
Texas. I still got those Virginia roots. So uh, let's get David on the line and see what he's got to say. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Hey, this is Kevin Van Dam. This is Brian Maloney. Hi, this is Chris Lane, and thanks for listening to Bass Edge Radio. We are back on Bass Edge Radio, and our discussion so far has touched on consistently being able to catch bass day in, day out, 724-365. David Dudley ranks at the top of that list with two consecutive FLW Angler of the Year titles. Welcome back to the show, David. Good to be here. We're glad to have you, and I know there's a lot of our listeners out there that love competitive fishing, but really not all of us are as entrenched in competitive fishing to know what that definition of angler of the year and its significance to you as an angler. Can you help us out there? Yeah, you know, angler of the year is what we all strive for. Anybody has a chance to win a tournament a few times in their lifetime, but to consistently, day in, day out, tournament after tournament after tournament, prove yourself as an angler is what defines the skill level of an angler in the eyes of the anglers out here on tour. So it's really what everybody strives to achieve. Well, David, congratulations on achieving that again this year. As Aaron mentioned, two in a row, that's pretty awesome. Obviously, there's a lot of skills that you need to have to be consistently successful throughout all seasons of the year. But can you specify a few of those most important skills that you think you need to have to consistently be successful? I was preached this as a child when I was growing up playing football. My coach used to make us chant, never be satisfied. And I think a lot of anglers become satisfied at times when they're on the water and what happens is you hit a flat line in your life or out on the water and you think that there's no improvement. So number one, you've got to have an attitude of there's always something better because if you don't think that there's something better, then you're going to end up flatlining out on the water. Number two is never go through the motions. Fishing is not necessarily, you know, oh, these pros have these secret lures that we don't got, and that's why they're catching them. You know, it's not necessarily that. You know, anything you do in life, time after time after time, it's like working in a factory. If you do the same thing over and over and over again, your mind's going to wander. You're going to be mowing your lawn. You're going to be rewinding what was on TV last night. You never know where your mind's going to go. So I've always tried to tell people you can't get caught up and going through the motions and fishing because once you do that one split second that that fish decides to mouth your lure or to hit it or nudge it or you miss feeling that rock with your crankbait or you miss feeling that limb to the left of that log you miss feeling something then you've lost an opportunity so two most important things i think for an angler trying to be the best that he can be is never be satisfied and never go through the motions as an angler you know david that complacency that you speak of is not only great fishing advice, that's good life advice as well. And kind of touching on an old adage that is thrown out there so many times, and perhaps even maybe a little overused, is the term a bass is a bass, regardless of the geography or seasonal condition. But I'm not too sure that it doesn't take a little more than that. You know, often the little things make a big difference. And what are those little things that you do to produce that consistency? 
I've heard that statement a lot also, and part of that is true, but yet and then a part of it is not true. To really sit there and say a northern bass is the same as a southern bass is kind of a twofold thing, but, you know, a bass is a bass is a bass. We we realize that in a way, but yet what makes an angler catch more than the other angler? If a bass is the same up north as he is south, and I'm a great northern fisherman, why couldn't I go south and catch him? Then it comes back to pointing your finger as an angler in the skill level that you're at. I believe that 70% of the time that a fish bites your lure, it's out of reaction or curiosity, not because he's hungry. Only 30% of the time do I actually believe that a fish, when he would throw something out there and he goes, bam, he hits it. Was he truly eating that to eat it? So a lot of the bites that I generate, I can't really say they're all reaction bites because they're not. A lot of them are just curiosity bites. Curiosity killed the what? Cat curiosity caught the what? Fish. And that's what I believe. So it comes down to the skill of the angler. You have to learn how to make them get curious. You have to learn how to make them react to your bait. And if you're just trying to rely on that time that they're eating, you're not going to be as successful of an angler as you are if you learn how to make them do the 70% of the time, which makes them curious and eat your bait. David, can you touch just briefly on the curiosity factor? Are you looking for higher concentrations so that the curiosity is increased by the fish? Or can you give us a little psychology of what's going through your head to actually put you into those situations? Anytime you have a school of fish, the lures become less of a factor because it's competition. If you've got 20 hungry men there and you put a McDonald's double cheeseburger out there or a Wendy's chicken sandwich (laughs) or french fries, I mean, we're all going to bite it. But what makes the curiosity so good is that I can make one basket curious of my baits just as much as I can a whole school of them. I mean, come on, think about it. We throw bubble gum worms. <laughs> we throw cintos. I mean, seriously, think about it. how many times, if any of our listeners, how many times have you ever seen a nightcrawler come flapping his wings through the water, you know, falling? How many times has any of us ever seen a nightcrawler falling down through the water or a yellow and blue crankbait? In a way, the more prettier the lure is, it's almost like the less that you catch, in my opinion. And it's simply because they look at 5 million shad come by on the day, especially in the fall. I mean, at any time of the day, they could take their choice and say, okay, I'm hungry. I'm just going to get a shad. Within two or three minutes, he can go out and find a shad. Then all of a sudden, here comes a black and chartreuse looking something wiggling by him. And he's like, wow, I ain't never had that before. Let's put it. What? Boom. And then he hit it. He hit it out of curiosity. He hit it because it was something different. He hit it because he, he's never really seen it before. So that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You have to make a fish be curious or react to your bait. It's like if you'd had a stump there, and I threw by that stump once, and something told me to throw by there two or three more times, and I punch in that bass like you would on the bed, then all of a sudden he hits it out of, hey, don't hit me no more. And then all of a sudden I caught him, but yet in our mind, we're like, wow, he really ate that. He was hungry. No, he was just mad, and you made him it. So I think one of the biggest myth busters in fishing is that just because it's in their mouth, we're thinking, yeah, he was hungry. He was trying to eat it. I don't. You've got to learn how to trigger them in that 70% of the time that they're not ready to eat. 
get them curious and get them biting. Dave, that's a great mental outlook and uh, not one I've really heard explained quite like you did just there, but I think makes a whole lot of sense. And that's certainly something we can all take to the water and have a different mental outlook about how we can attack some of those situations that we see and get those reaction bites. Because I agree with you, you know, even when you're in a big concentration of fish sometimes, you know, they turn on and turn off and you've got to be able to get them to react a certain way, whether it's a bait change or, or whatever it might be. But I tell you what, you know, recreational anglers often have to plan their fishing trips around vacations and weekends and independent of what the bite is, you know, kind of like you're talking about that 30% of the time when they're really chewing. So folks got to get out there and figure out how to deal with making those fish react that 70% of the time. How do you prepare in advance for your trips or your tournaments when you're going out to a lake to get ready to attack a specific impoundment that you're going to be traveling to? I've always been a guy who likes to let natural instincts flow. I don't pre-fish anywhere unless it's the dead heat of summer because most of the time it won't change. Most of the time we're going at times of the year when they're in, always in transition. But my biggest preparation for tournament is, you know, David Dudley of the old used to have rusted hooks and all kinds of junk in his box and, you know, everybody kind of gave me a hard time. I have definitely turned over a new leaf four or five years ago and didn't realize how important it was to be organized, how important it was to have the base. My tackle box is pretty much simplicity. You can go in a tackle store and just get overwhelmed with tackle. My tackle boxes aren't really that way because I'm a firm believer in making them curious or reactive bait. So you can pretty much take any bait if you're fishing it the correct manner and get them to react. So my preparation towards tournament is pretty much getting my tackle ready, what I think might be happening at the lake. And then once I get to the lake, I have an open mind. I don't look at tournament results. I do not look at anything on the internet to try to clue myself in on what's going on. I pretty much know what would be happening in any region we go in the country. So I know that if I let my instincts take over, then you're going to become a better angler just by doing that alone. The way you get a lot of those instincts, obviously, is from time on the water. If, you know, the recreational angler hasn't had a whole lot of time, is it book work or reading, you know, FLW Magazine or Bassmaster or whatever? How would one get more acquainted with some of those decisions that they might have to make? It's time on the water. Yes, you can read about basketball. You can read about techniques in football, and you can know it. You need to get yourself accustomed to certain things like that, but yet the only way LeBron is going to get better is getting himself on the court. Same thing is with fishing. Talking about preparation, one of the biggest drugs that you could ever do, and it's the worst drug in the world that you could ever take for fishing, is actually getting help going to a lake and, you know, calling your buddy up and saying, hey, take me out and show me what it is. That is the worst drug you could ever do. Because what does it do? It makes you less confident. Then it's a drug that you have to rely on. Then you go to a lake and let's say it did pay off a little bit. Then that drug that you took by getting help from that certain person, now it's in your mind and it's like you lose that self-confidence of saying, I can go to anybody water. I can figure them out. And then you start losing confidence, and then you start searching out more and more. And that's one of the worst drugs you could do is actually get help from somebody. When you're trying to become the best, you know, help is good growing up. My dad helped me out, you know, watching certain people fish and just see how they do. But when you're traveling all over the country and you start picking up that phone and saying, hey, could you help me? Could you help me? And it's like the worst drug. Then when you try to go do it on your own, you, you don't even know how to operate. You have no confidence unless somebody tells you something. You 
lead us right into my next point concerning confidence. And, and we've all had this happen to us, David, as anglers. But, you know, you've done your homework, enthusiastic about hitting the launch ramp. You launch your boat. Now you're ready to hit the day. have all these grandiose ideas of how many bass and the size and everything else that you're going to catch. But a few hours pass, and all of a sudden you're finding that, uh, you know, that original plan A didn't work out. How do you change things up in order to salvage your day? One of the, the things I've always said is that one thing you can't teach in life is that instinct. Instinct is something you become accustomed to and you grow. And that's the point I'm trying to make is unless you are on the water and are faced with that, and then you make a move and you have to feed it. And unless it's getting fed, there's nothing that you can learn. So unless you feed your instincts by staying on the water and powering through it and saying, hey, adjusting, then your confidence level goes out the roof. You know, and, and sometimes you may make a move and you don't get bit. Okay, let's say, all right, I, I went and I was catching fish in the grass and, you know, I was on a real strong pattern. And then today it's sunny, the grass is not panning out. What do I do? Now I'm in a, in a lost cause. Well, the first instinct is going to be, hey, let's do a little bait change, let's try flipping. And that didn't pan off either. But don't look at that as a negative. That is a positive feeding your instinct. Some people would attribute that as a confidence decliner, like it makes it worse because you wasn't rewarded with a fish. But you were rewarded with the fact that that didn't pay off either. So that's building more confidence. Don't look at it as a negative. So now that you're building confidence and adjusting, that helps you make the next move. And that may be going to doctors, okay, it's funnier. That may be pulling out on the first drop. It's everything feeds, so you always have to try to learn from everything that you do out on the water. That's an interesting aspect you point out there, David. And you're talking about all these little decisions that you make and, and different moves that you're having to make and, and how you can turn a negative into a positive. There's not many people that can combat that mental warfare when things get tough. Besides pushing on with your confidence level and feeling like no matter what it is, whether it's a positive or a negative that you're seeing there, how is it that you keep going when things get tough? And, and maybe I'm not talking about just, you know, in a specific event. Let's talk about, you know, the long-term scenario. You know, if you have two or three bad terms and you kind of get in that rut, how do you combat it, that mental warfare? It is a huge fight that you're going to go through in trying to battle the thoughts that go through your head. It's negative thoughts that are attacking you. You've got to be able to fight them, but you've got to understand this. I still always go back to my 70% of the time. You, as an angler, them fish are still sitting on that ledge. Them fish are still sitting around that dock. Them fish are still sitting there. It's, fishing is good when they're eating. Fishing is bad when they're not eating. So how do you make them? That's why I said you have to learn as an angler to fish. You have to learn how to take that shaky head and work it on the bottom when he's not hungry and make him pick it up and be like, well, you know what, maybe I can get another little worm. This one looks like it's whatever he may be thinking through his head. You've got to make them react to it. So I think, you know, part of that battle of getting over the hump is becoming a better angler and learning how to make fish react and get curious. And I know that's simple for me to say, but yet very hard, but yet it's something that anglers have got to learn how to do. Well, that's good stuff. And, you know, speaking of those times when they're eating, October, here we are. As we get to the latter part of this month, it's kind of known for one of those months to where they actually do kind of kick it into gear and start uh, really stocking up for the winter that's to come and eating quite a bit. What are you looking for in the month of October? And specifically, can you give us uh, one or two of your go-to baits? 
You know, ever since the umbrella rate come out or the Alabama rate has come out, it has become one of the most dominant suspending fish baits, you know, that, that are out there. And fall of the year is just a, a really tough time of the year. It's when fish can be in 20 foot of water, they can be in 30 foot of water, and they can be in two inches of water. So the population of the lake is really spread out throughout the whole part of the lake. And yes, they are feeding up and trying to get fat. So this time of year is tough, but I'm going to have to say an Alabama rig and always a shaky head. A shaky head or a drop shot is some type of finesse thing is probably one of the top two baits that I would choose. Well, David, though, I'm sure that those are certainly going to have a lot of success this October, and I know I'm going to be throwing a bunch of them this month. But <laughs> hey, it's been great having you on the show. As always, you know, you bring something new to the table. I'm really intrigued about your 70-30 breakdown. And uh, but before we close this out, uh, we have a listener question from Jason in Omaha, Nebraska. Jason speaks. I have only been bass fishing for about six months now, and have joined a bass club. I have noticed that most fishermen have good electronics. On my boat, I have a somewhat dated fish depth finder. How do we use our current fish finders to locate structure, fish, thermoclines, and bait fish when we're trying to fish bodies of water? Of course, it would be great to update to the latest and greatest, but sometimes that isn't possible for some anglers. What can we do, and how do we approach such issues? Thanks in advance, the newbie, Jason R., Omaha, Nebraska. That's a, a tough one to answer. You know, when you are just using your sonar, there's two areas as an angler you need. If you had to go out and mow lawns or do a side job and work, you know, a half a year till you got it, would be updated. If you can't, you know, time doesn't allow you. Try to learn what your depth finders are telling you. You know, it, that's a hard one for me to answer because this is one area when I say you get what you pay for. To take an older style depth finder and try to accomplish what you can with a new one is, is like going to dial up versus cable internet. You know, I wish I could give you a better answer, Jason. You know, this is America and you can work and do anything you desire in America is, you know, pick up a lawnmower, go mow some lawns or do something. That's what I would be doing. I think you bring up a good point, David. That's why really we try to bass edge through the Electronics 101 and Deep Fishing DVD is to go into some of those settings and just understand, okay, Okay, what does your sensitivity do? First and foremost, turn off your fish ID because chances are if you have that fish ID on, you see all those fish that stacked on top of one another and we're fishing for a tree. You know, little things like that. And then the other thing is, too, that you bring up is if you have a buddy that has an updated version, is compare and contrast so that that way if you go to the same area to the same point, you know there's a brush pile there. You can kind of use the two to compare and contrast of exactly what you're looking for. But I agree with you. I, I think electronics are one of those few things to where where if you can, spend the money where possible. And like you said, just save up for it. Not everything happens overnight. There is no magic bullet in fishing. And like you said earlier, there is no magic lure. Um, so I think that's that's good advice. Yeah, maybe immediately Jason could uh, just become a shallow water expert. The older style electronics and the electronics that, that aren't quite as expensive, it's still going to give you a depth reading. So maybe at this time you could concentrate on fishing more shallow structure and becoming an expert at fishing shallow structure. And then maybe as David and you suggest later on, you know, being able to uh, work into some better electronics to become a deep water fisherman later on in his 
life. Well, congratulations, Jason, for having your question chosen and answered on Bass Edge by David Dudley. A big thanks to David for helping us take our fishing to the next level. Any uh, closing thoughts before we get out of here, David? Yeah, you know, one of the things I did mention was if you visit my website, which is daviddudley.com, you'll see on there where I offer coaching trips. And with these coaching trips, whether it's a beginner or a tournament angler who's been fishing for years, I help coach them mentally. I want them to look through my eyes. I look at how they approach things on water, what they're looking at, and try to get them steered in the right direction because it always meant a world to me when other people took me fishing that I respected. So I do offer coaching trips. Check it out on daviddudley.com, and maybe I'll see you out on the boat with me one day. Well, that's all good stuff and certainly ties right into the mission of Bass Edge and your earlier comment concerning experience. Hey, we need to take a short break, and then we'll continue our discussion of consistency. You're listening to Bass Edge. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights. All for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. This is Jonathan Van Dam, and you're listening to Bass Edge. Kurt, I think we have to have kind of a serious discussion here because I see it that we're talking about you have to have experience, okay? But it's really a chicken and the egg mentality. When you're first getting into the sport, young or old, you don't have the ability to garner that experience of being on the water. So how is it that we are going to be able to tell our listeners that you have to have this experience and successes and failures to build this confidence, yet that's not necessarily realistic? I agree. It's the educational process that you need to begin with. It's reading magazines, reading any kind of literature you can get your hands on, listening to podcasts, all of these little nooks of information that we can put into a conglomeration of education that leads us to what step A might be when we walk down the bank or launch the boat. These particular aspects are the first experience that an angler is going to have. He's not going to have something to lean on where last week they were biting a top water because it was cloudy out. But he's going to read and educate himself about, well, there's clouds, there's potentially a top water bite, let's tie on a buzz bay or whatever else kind of top water you might suggest to use. So the key to this is when you're first starting bass fishing, don't be afraid to utilize all the information that you can when you're educating yourself at home or in your car or wherever it might be that you can take that to the lake and that's how you begin the process of either having success or not having success and then variating from that. Really what we're talking about is is building those habits, okay? And at first, you know, we know knowledge is power. So you're building that knowledge base using the tools that you just spoke of, reading, listening, attending seminars, whatever that is to your liking. 
but then building those habits in your brain patterns to think, okay, when it's cloudy, maybe top water, dark colors. By building those fundamentals, you can then go out and start that experiential process actually on the water, but you have that base to rely on. I think that is really, really important to take into consideration as we're having this discussion. Yeah, Aaron, I couldn't agree more as well. And to take it one step further, once you're out there and utilizing the education that you had, that's the time when you go to the instance like David was talking about when you experience something, remember what you experienced. Remember you threw a plastic worm at that lay down and it didn't bite. But then you threw a beaver style bait and then it did bite. And maybe it's because it had a, a ribbon tail or a flutter action versus a gliding action and then you can in turn utilize those experiences to take forward but until you get more time on the water and take the education to the water that's when you're going to be able to move faster and react quicker to catch more fish in the future no question and i think that's where keeping that fishing journal fishing log with you in the boat writing down sky color writing down air temperature water temperature what you are doing, where you're catching the fish, the length of the fish, all that serves as a reference to build that knowledge base while you're actually having that experience on the water, and that's how you tie the two together. But you know what? Enough of us sitting here bantering back and forth. We have BASS Angler of the Year 2012, Brent Chapman on the line. Let's go talk to him about consistency and being able to put fish in the boat throughout the course of all the seasons. in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment. The Powerpole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerpole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerpole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Under the lily pads in a lake near you, live bass happy and free until one man with a huge resume and immeasurable experience building the finest rods in the world changed everything. Gary Dobbins offers three full lines of tournament-winning rods, the Champion Extreme, Champion, and Savvy Series. Dobbins Rods. When fishing is more than a hobby. This is 2012 Forest Woods Cup winner Jacob Wheeler, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio. Keeping with the uh, theme to this month's show, it's certainly how to be a successful angler throughout an entire year of fishing. Right now, Bass Edge brings you the 2012 BASS Angler of the Year, Brent Chapman. Brent, thanks for being on the show with us. Certainly, guys. It's great to be with you guys. Well, Brent, only the creme de la creme of bass fishing anglers gets an opportunity to be called the Professional Tours Angler of the Year. If you had to pin down one commonality that makes you all so successful, what would you say that that would be? You know, I, I would say for sure it's got to be the versatility. It's something I've, I've learned early in my career. Of you've got to be versatile as an angler out here. And if you look at my whole season, the different techniques and, and baits that I've thrown to win that Angler of the Year title is uh, pretty diverse for sure. Brent, it's certainly great to have you on Bass Edge. And like Kurt alluded to, you know, as we continue to adjust throughout the year to changing seasonal conditions and fish behaviors, what would you say the three lures you need throughout all of the seasons? And then also, if you could take it one step further as far as why you're picking each of those. For me, gosh, probably 
two of them for sure are a uh, little tight line juvie beaver. I mean, that, that little bait for me has been super, super versatile. It's really bailed me out in a, in a lot of tough conditions, but when the fish are biting, they're around any type of cover that, you know, I'm real proficient with it. You know, I know it's a bait that not a lot of fish have seen. Uh, that UV technology has really uh, helped me put quite a few fish in the boat. Another one is our UV Inco, which is a, you know, stick worm style bait that, you know, those have been popular all around the country, uh, you know, especially around the spawn. But even throughout the whole year, it's such a unique bait that you can fish so many different ways. And then last but not least is just a shallow diving or square bill crankbait, just a bait that seems to produce from spring, summer, fall, uh, under a lot of different conditions. And, and, you know, those are definitely where I'm in my comfort zone the most and uh, definitely have had, uh, you know, a lot of my success. Well, Brent, certainly the versatility that you speak of, that you brought through it, you know, also transcends not only through uh, your bait presentations, but also the types of waterways that you fish throughout your travels. This past year, you fished some rivers, natural lakes, lowland reservoirs, highland reservoirs. All of these are different types of water systems. What type of water system do you enjoy fishing the most and why do you like it so much and how do you go about breaking it down so quickly uh you know for me it's got to be the, the man-made reservoirs i mean that's what i kind of uh grew up fishing you know the the ozark type lakes but those are very similar to a, a lot of your uh texas lakes uh, alabama lakes all that they're dammed up bodies of water so they have an old river channel that runs through them and a lot of different arms or creeks off of them and what i really like to do on especially a big body of water first and foremost i, I like to see what my options are I, I like to see from one end to the other if that's on a you know, on a prior trip or, or something, just to know what's available. But then from there, uh, I like to pick, you know, let's say a certain creek that I feel like has probably the most options for me. And I like to just say, okay, this is my playing field right here, and, and I'll take a practice day and just take that particular creek and try to break it down and try to put together not just one pattern, but hopefully two or three different patterns to uh, get you through a four-day event. Brent, I often joke with Kurt, you know, you get us two in the boat or anyone for that matter, and talk about the speed of fishing, and that's kind of a, a relative term hard to quantify you know as far as how fast someone fishes what speed do you usually find yourself fishing and why do you feel that that works well for you and does that stay the same all the time or, or are you kind of shifting gears so to speak uh, i would definitely say i'm shifting gears but i think probably one of the biggest things that separates an elite series professional angler versus a weekend angler is how proficient they are whether they're fishing really fast and covering a ton of water like kevin van dam does or you know literally you're putting your power poles down and sitting in one spot and just making a lot of casts. The guys that are out here on the Elite Tour are very, very proficient at it, and they don't waste a lot of time. What I mean by that is, let's say they decide that they want to throw a different bait or something. There's not a lot of time where they're jumping around the boat trying to dig around and, and find a particular lure. They always know where everything's at. They've got the right rod rigged up. So the, the whole key to that is keeping a bait wet, you know, no matter whether you're fishing it really slow or, or fishing fast. It's all about keeping a bait in the water and... Uh, you know, hopefully finding that presentation, whether it be fast or slow, to uh, put more fish in the boat. Well, let me ask you the kind of the million-dollar question. We talk a lot about decision-making. How, mm-hmm. as, as weekend anglers, how can we know when we've covered an area or if we've covered it with the right baits or, you know, when to leave, when to stay, when to go, when to move out? Can you walk us through your decision-making process a little bit on that? That is definitely the million-dollar question in this sport for sure, and that's something that grows with time or that confidence level grows with time and I, I always urge people especially if you're new to fishing especially bass fishing don't come to a big reservoir a big you know what you see on bass masters type of a reservoir because not only do you have to find the fish and then 
didn't figure out how to catch them. That's the biggest challenge on a big body of water is finding the fish. I always encourage people, go to a small body of water. I mean, some of the best are a farm pond or, you know, just a small little city lake or a private lake of some sort that has a lot of fish in it. And you can really learn a technique better and become, you know, more efficient with it. And then that way, when you do get to a bigger body of water, you can say, okay, you know, this looks very similar to whatever that pond is that I used to catch all the fish out of. This same little area looks like that. Let's get my favorite lure that I've had a lot of experience in, and and therefore I have a lot of confidence in it and try it. So if you get into an area and you feel, you know, just from your own experience and confidence level, hey, I've been in here for a half hour or an hour and haven't had a bite, maybe it's a a good indicator that it's time to go try something else. Well, I'll tell you what, Brent, you know, recently I read that you feel like luck plays a role in fishing, and I've got to agree with you. How can I increase my luck factor in my fishing? What are the little things that you can do to make myself and anybody else more lucky for that matter? Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. Some of the top names in this sport, you hear a lot of people say that they're lucky. And they are lucky. You know, I mean, I always say that from the aspect of, let's say you're in an area catching a lot of three and four pounders and then you catch a seven or eight pounder. That's kind of luck. And that can happen to anybody at, you know, any given time. But you kind of create your own luck. The more work you put into it as far as practice and preparation and all that, the luckier you are. I mean, people could say I was really lucky this year, but little did I know I put probably more effort into this season as far as, you know, preparing in the off season, as far as getting into physical shape from preparing every single day, whether it's a practice day or tournament day to being as efficient as I could be on the water. And uh, people could say I was really lucky, but, uh, you know, like I said, you kind of create that by your own prep time beforehand. It sounds like you changed some of your methods this year. What are some of those methods that you changed to create the more luck and, and obviously your success? this year and how do you see yourself going forward and maybe revising what you did three or four years ago but now that you've won an angler of the year title how do you see that this success has changed maybe the way you're going to approach years to come for me it all started last june i squeaked into the classic last year it wasn't you know my best performances and and i and i knew i was fishing but i just didn't feel like i was fishing where i needed to be fishing and that's where we really stepped things up And, and something else that's you know kind of been a big factor for me too is just the amount of time we spent at church Not to get into the big spiritual talk, but, uh, you know, a lot of time at church made me realize that fishing isn't the most important thing in life. And, uh, you know, you kind of set your priorities straight and some great things happen. And that's exactly what did there. But, uh, you know, also, as we wrapped up last year, you know, I was getting close to 40. I just turned 40 a couple months ago. And I know I'm not in the same physical shape I was in my 20s. And, you know, you tend to hurt a little bit more. And if you're hurting on the water, you can't focus on fishing like you need to be and so last uh, summer I really started working out trying to get in the best possible physical shape I could and then uh, you know even late in the fall uh, as far as getting ready for this year from getting my new boat getting everything set up there having the boat broken properly you know doing my homework as far as the bodies of water even all the little prep time of you know making sure I had all the proper equipment and tackle I needed for this upcoming season so when all that was in place well before the season it really showed and I definitely benefited uh, going right into that first open event at Lake Louisville. We got a win right off the bat, which, you know, already qualified me for the Bassmasters Classic. So then that allowed me to swing for the fences a little bit more, kind of take myself out of my comfort zone. And instead of just fishing for checks and being probably a little too conservative, uh, you know, I feel like I took little risk as far as checking out new places, maybe trying a technique to catch big fish versus just catching fish. And lo and behold, eight elite events later, here we are with that Angle of the Year title. Sounds like you might have found a new comfort zone. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, a- absolutely. And, uh, you know, that success hopefully will feed more success. Ha- having the success I've had this year, I can already tell, has just fired me up and makes me want to have more success hopefully next year. Well, it sounds to me, Brent, to kind of summarize what you just said there, oftentimes we overlook, as recreational anglers, balance. The balance between the mental, the spiritual, the emotional, the physical, and how much that plays into your ability to make decisions and, and really into that confidence that you speak so much of. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, that is so true. And if you're out of balance anywhere in that deal, I mean, if you're worried about the kids at home or your wife's not happy with you because you're out fishing or because your back hurts, you uh, you sat around and watched a football game instead of getting your rods ready for the following weekend or your tackle ready, uh, you know, you're going to pay the price for it. And uh, having all those things running on all cylinders definitely makes a, a big difference. Well, obviously, October is here because we're in it. Bass fishing is entering really kind of what some would say that prime fall bite. It seems, mm-hmm. you know, kind of one of those times of year to where it's either feast or famine for many anglers. How can we find those big concentrations of fish in the fall of the year? You know, that's what I like about October. I always tell people probably the worst month of the whole entire year to fish is September. Amen. In my, in my, in my experiences. But October, you get past that period, and as it just starts, you know, as it cools off and, and gets colder, those fish tend to get more active. They realize things are starting to cool off, so they've got to start thinking about fattening up for the winter. And they, as it gets colder, they start to concentrate more. And, and as we progress farther into late fall, early winter, you're going to see those fish congregate even more. But it's one of those things, you, you got to find those areas where those fish will eventually go to winter, you know, deeper holes, channel bends, that type of stuff. And uh, typically, you'll, you'll start to fish those areas, catch a few fish early in October. But as the fall in, in the winter progresses, you're going to see those areas just get more and more uh, concentrated with fish yeah brian you know as fall continues and progresses i know that you enjoy hunting and you're going to be spending a lot of time in the woods i recently read it as well that if you could change uh, your career focus or had to change your career focus you'd love to be a professional deer hunter what i'm really interested in is what have you learned in your deer hunting that you've been able to bring to your fishing skills and make you a better angler no that's huge and i don't think our industry gets enough emphasis on that but bow hunting for deer and bass fishing tournaments almost go hand in hand uh you know anybody that's ever bow hunted knows if, if you or, or tournament fishes knows that if you cut a corner or you get lazy in a certain area as far as not putting new line on or retying a bait or uh not descenting properly or you know not doing something properly even in the tree stand you're going to pay the price for it and for that you know i think that's what keeps me sharp you know, about this time of year i tend to be putting the rods away a little more and try to spend more time in the tree stand which i found is good for me because i hate to say it but i don't get burnt out but i just i know i need to get away from you know catching fish and try to focus on something else so come you know late october through probably all of november i mean it's a tournament for me but it's uh, chasing those big white tails and i treat almost every day of a, of a deer hunt just like i do in a tournament as far as prepping making sure all the stuff i carry in is in its proper place uh, everything's descended properly and make sure i'm shooting every day or every couple days to make sure my shooting skills are sharp and very very particular about stand placements and how i get to them and how i get out so there's so many little variables that go into bow hunting that like i said are just so much like fishing that i think that's why i like it so much brent i understand you know you and your wife bobby have a couple of wonderful children and mm-hmm. you know as a father I'm, i assume 
you share your passion for fishing with them. What is the the first step to getting young kids started fishing and and the outdoors in general? Because us as you know fathers or mothers that have that mm-hmm. type A personality that are just ate up with fishing, sometimes you know mm-hmm. we can be a little overbearing on getting them started in the sport. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know the the first step by far is just a matter of getting them outdoors. That's a big step to do, and uh, you know I, I want them to have the success I have, and, and you know you kind of realize fairly quick that they can't cast like you can cast, and you know they, they may not have the pay that we have but you know kids don't care whether they catch a, a five pound bass or a five inch bluegill they, they just want action and uh, same in the in the hunting woods and i'll tell you what i mean if you don't know much about fishing or, or even the outdoors go buy yourself just a we call them creature nets but uh, just like a little shad net or bait net go to the nearest little creek or body of water and just put some old tennis shoes on and some old clothes and go get muddy and turn over rocks and use that net because i mean to a degree that's fishing and kids just want to be seeing stuff and getting to hold stuff and experiencing, you know, whether it's, it's minnows or crawfish or frogs or any of that. And then, you know, from there, keeping it simple, even on the fishing aspect, like I said, kids don't care if they catch a big fish. They just want to catch some kind of fish. So I really, you know, encourage people uh, just a simple rig to catch bluegill and panfish. And, you know, believe it or not, even those you can catch big fish on. And probably one of the biggest tips I try to tell people on that is you can catch really big fish on little tiny hooks, but you can't catch little fish on big hooks. And that's, I, I see more parents doing that. They, they end up putting too big of hooks on the baits for their kids, you know, as far as like a, the, the, one of the baits I love probably more than anything for people just getting started is uh, Berkeley Crappie Nibble. And you can put one of those on like a little number eight or number 10, just little uh, gold Aberdeen hook and catch, you know, all kinds of little fish and uh, kids have a blast with it. That's great information, guys. For our listeners, you know, oftentimes we get so caught up in, in what we're doing, you know, for ourselves to try and become better anglers and, and have a funner time on the weekends. We figure, we forget about these these things to, you know, pass along tradition and, and keep these things moving. It is it's it's so important to keep young kids out there in the outdoors and and obviously in the industry of fishing. So uh, good information there, Brent. We appreciate you being on the show. But before you take another cast, I know you're on the water. We have a listener question from Jason, and, and Jason's actually from kind of your neck of the woods of the country. He's from Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, mm-hmm. here's Jason's question. I have only been fishing now for about six months and have joined a bass club. I have noticed that good fishermen have good electronics. On my boat, I have a somewhat dated depth fish finder. How do we use our current fish finders to locate structure, fish, thermoclines, and bait fish when trying to fish bodies of water? Of course, it would be great to update the latest and greatest, but sometimes that isn't possible for anglers. What can we do and how do we approach such issues? Thanks in advance, the newbie. And that, again, is from Jason in Omaha, Nebraska. That's a great question, Jason. I mean, is it nice to have the the latest, greatest uh, electronics out there? Absolutely. Does it make uh, on the water a lot easier? For sure. But uh, I can promise you, 10, 15 years ago, I didn't have all the bells and whistles that we have today. And it's probably a good thing, especially as a new angler. It makes you kind of learn, kind of like... uh, you know, even math and a lot of these things in school, that was always saying, in school, why do I need to know math when I have a calculator? But uh, it's good to know the basics there. You learn how to read a map and, and do the, uh, you know, aligning off the, the banks and shoreline and read your electronics and, and try to find what uh, structure is down there. You know, right there is going to be a, a, a big hit. Uh, you know, it'll be those things for you. You'll have to learn how to use 
you know, marker buoys and mark spots and, and try to, you know, triangulate to come back to those spots, uh, you know, time and time again is, is a challenge. But uh, I think that's what has given the learning curve for our new rookie anglers that have come out here too is how they're able to learn faster is with these electronics. But, uh, you know, don't let it hinder your uh, confidence or, or your time on the water. It's just going to take you probably a little bit more time of idling around, learning and paying attention to your electronics even more than what you'd have to uh, versus uh, – having the latest and greatest stuff for sure. Brent, that's great stuff. Certainly a tip and recommendation many anglers can use. Jason, thanks again for sending in your question to Bass Edge Radio. Hey, thanks, Brent. Uh, so much for being part of the Edge. Any closing thoughts before we let you get back to uh, grinding and whining? No, it, it's just interesting to hear the variety of questions that you ask. And, you know, from starting to a kid to new tournament anglers to, you know, where I'm at in this is I'd say, you know, if you have a dream and a passion whether it's in professional bass fishing or whatever, you've got to follow it. You know, that's so important in life. And, uh, you know, having success in life is doing something you're passionate about. And it seemed like yesterday that I was that new kid that, you know, you guys talk about that my parents were kind enough to take fishing and spend the time with and be patient with. And I remember being the new guy at the bass club and trying to learn as much as I possibly could. And then, Lo and behold, 17 years later in a, of a career and, you know, hit the Angler of the Year title. So uh, definitely been an amazing career for me, and I uh, just want to encourage everybody to, to get out there and try to spend as much time on the water. Thanks, Brent. We appreciate you being here, and we will be right back and continue to stay on the edge with Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Why did they consistently win? Why did they know about all the latest and greatest baits? BassTackleDepot.com, of course. BassTackleDepot.com is your headquarters for all your bass fishing needs. With over 100 different manufacturers in stock, including Dobbins Rods, Bassaholics Clothing, Boat Bling Cleaning Products, Black Dog, Pepper Baits, Gene LaRue, Jackalure Company, McCoy Line, not to mention a talented staff of hardcore anglers ready to assist your every need. It's no wonder Bass Tackle Depot is where the pros shop. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. Man, Kurt, talking about a throwback. I can remember growing up and even well into my teen years and early 20s and, and this whole maturing as an angler. I didn't have the luxury of having the best rods and the best electronics. But in doing so, that really forced me to learn the fundamentals of the sport. And I think that's really important that we stress that you have to know the fundamentals before you get to the point of having, you know, the fancy electronics and the $50,000 bass boats. Because as we know, you know, you can't take a donkey and turn it into a racehorse. Yeah, you're exactly right, Aaron. You know, the key word there is fundamentals. You know, you've got to be able to get out there and utilize whatever it is that you have at your disposal. And, uh, you know, when I started fishing, I had a pickup truck and I threw a 14-foot John boat in the back of it. I had a trolling motor, a little deck on the front, and, you know, I'm buzzing around the lake. I'm not worried about structure scan. Shoot, I didn't even know what structure scan was. I wasn't, yeah. worried. I wasn't worried about, you know, high-performance equipment. You know, it was just basically about getting out there on the water and getting after it. You know, we've heard so much about instincts. That's when you learn your instincts is when you're 
utilizing the fundamentals, that's when you're going to learn the instincts of bass fishing, which are so critical in having success. I could not agree more. And that experience, whether you're not catching them or you are, and once again, I think that's where the journal comes into play by keeping track of your day on the water, cloud conditions, water temperature, air temperature, lake level, water clarity, whatever bait you were using, all those things that serves as a tremendous reference to be able to go back and as you start building your knowledge you're also building your arsenal of references to use in the future when you encounter that condition again it automatically kind of makes that light bulb go off ah this is what i need to be doing yeah it sure does and then when you do get to the point where you have a lot of this you know fancy equipment maybe later on and you're fishing you know prowessness then that's even going to make even that much better now you've got all these tools but you have the fundamentals that you can utilize and that's what makes a great angler really good stuff i want to remind listeners to send in your listener questions to info at bassedge.com or you can post it on facebook for a chance to hear your question on the show i really get a lot out of these questions i think even the the anglers that answer the questions get a lot out of them that's a great segment of the show it really is and if you're thinking it chances are a lot of us are thinking it too so you're doing everybody a service by sending those questions in and uh, we can all benefit for it i also want to throw out before uh, we close down the show here that keel guard giveaway that i had mentioned at the very very beginning october 16th that is the cutoff date october 16th 2012 all you have to do to get in on this 500 dollars complete boat protection package as well as second third and fourth place is go to the bass edge facebook page probably have to scroll down maybe two or three posts but there is a keel guard share this photo on there simply share that make sure you're a friend of bass edge facebook like the keel guard facebook you are automatically entered but we will be doing that drawing October 16th. Yeah, that's the greatest way to stay up on the latest information on Bass Edge is, is to get on the Facebook. And also make sure you log on to BassTackleDepot.com when making your next tackle purchase because you get 15% off when you enter the promo code BE. That's like Bass Edge. So BE Special. Who can get 15% off at any time online? That's awesome. Absolutely. You don't even have to get in your car, Kurt, or spend that expensive gasoline that we are experiencing right now. But uh, unfortunately, we are out of time as we have reached our limit here on Bass Edge. It is October 2012, episode number 148. I am Aaron Martin. And for Kurt Dove, so long, everybody. We'll see you next time right here on Bass Edge. The Edge is presented by Kill Guard Kill Protector. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit www.bassedge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, BassTackleDepot.com, PowerPole, Dobbins Rods, Mercury Outboards, and Rapaholic.com.